Welcome to the Live to 110 podcast. My name is Wendy Myers, and you can find me on LiveTo110.com. Just go there if you want to live a long, healthy, disease-free life. Got all kinds of info for you on diet, lifestyle, detoxification, and surviving to 110. Today, we have Ben Greenfield on the podcast. He is a fitness expert, a fitness god, in my my opinion. <laughs> and he is going to be talking about what kind of exercise you should be doing if you have adrenal fatigue. I get asked this question all the time, and so I thought this would be a great podcast. And who better than a fitness expert like Ben Greenfield? Please keep in mind that this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease or health condition and is not a substitute for professional medical advice. The Live to 110 podcast is solely informational in nature for entertainment purposes only, so please consult your healthcare practitioner before engaging in anything that we just suggest today on the show. I'm so thrilled to finally have launched my Body Bio Rehab online health program. You can learn more at bodybiorehab.com. I wanted to create a very affordable, accessible online health program where you can learn um, all the, the things that I think are very important to live a long, healthy life and help to reverse disease, uh, improve your health, your energy, get your libido back, get your mojo back. So I've created five modules, diet, exercise, stress, sleep, and detoxification. So go sign up at bodybiorehab.com and learn more. Our guest today is Ben Greenfield. He is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Beyond Training. He has a very balanced approach to fitness, nutrition, and health, which comes from his extensive experience in fitness and wellness industry as one of the country's leading personal trainers and wellness consultants. In 2008, Ben was nominated by the NSCA as America's top personal trainer. And in 2013 and 14, Ben was voted as one of the top 100 most influential individuals in health and fitness. As a public speaker on fitness, nutrition, and training, Ben has hosted uh, several top-ranked fitness and health podcasts on iTunes, including Get Fit Guy, The Ben Greenfield Fitness Show, and Obstacle Dominator. Ben speaks around the world, and in addition to presenting at multi-day conferences in global hotspots as Dubai, London, and Thailand, he also uh, is a regular speaker at Paleo Effects, actually happening uh, in April, and the Ancestral Health Symposium. Ben resides in Spokane, Washington with his wife, Jessa, and twin boys, River and Taryn. Hi, Ben. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. I think that's hilarious that you're working out while we're doing the podcast. <laughs> uh, this isn't really working out. I, I don't consider a, a walking treadmill <laughs> workstation to be a, a workout. You'd probably... You'd probably croak if you saw my actual workouts, but yeah. no, this is just this is just being active. This is simulating the the hunter gatherer lifestyle while living in a in a post industrial era. Yeah, yeah, I need right. to get one of those. <laughs> yeah, it's on the list. <laughs> yep, that the the pull up bar in the in the door. You know, pretty much everything you need to to uh, fool your body into thinking that you're hunting and gathering and. Uh, gardening and anything else all day long when all you're really doing is working on a laptop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I need to show <laughs> my body more often. <laughs> well, yeah. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and, you know, pretty much your role as a fitness god. A fitness god. 
Um, you know, I've I've been pretty much uh, in fitness since I was 15 years old. You know, teaching private tennis lessons, uh, studied um, uh, exercise science and nutrition and biomechanics in college while I was playing collegiate tennis. I also played water polo and volleyball in college and eventually got into bodybuilding and then Ironman triathlon after that. I opened up a bunch of uh, like personal training studios and gyms uh, in Idaho and Washington and in 2008 was voted as uh, America top personal trainer and um, about six years ago started doing a lot more kind of online consulting and doing a lot more kind of like Skype work with folks um, a lot more freelance writing um, you know in terms of like my my blog at bengreenfieldfitness.com just turning out articles there you know I've got a, a couple of podcasts I do on the side and um, you know I'm, I'm still still racing still you know doing camps and clinics and working out myself but yeah, it's been uh, it's been pretty much all I've ever done is is help people get fit, help people heal injuries. Um, seems like these days I'm doing a lot more in like the anti aging and biohacking kind of sectors too. Maybe that's just because I'm getting old. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, you start getting but, a lot uh, more worried about yeah. those things. How to biohack everything? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Like, yeah, you start thinking more about everything from like skin and connective tissue and joints and living longer. Um, the older you get, and it's like my my writings and my podcasts and my <laughs> topics of choice, I seem to like be going more towards that. And you know, I I don't know what's going to happen once I'm like you know six years old. Maybe I'll start I don't know writing about what to whatever. Do when you're falling golf, apart, golf, golf maybe. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> or what to do when you're falling apart. Yeah, exactly. Well, hopefully that doesn't happen, right? Like yeah, that's, that's yeah. why I'm doing everything I do now, so I don't fall apart when I'm sixty. Yeah, me too. I'm trying to do everything. Or hundred, or hundred and ten. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you have to detox if you want to live that long. <laughs> so let's talk about uh, you know the topic of our podcast. I get asked this all the time: What kind of exercise should people doing uh, when they have adrenal fatigue? Um, yeah, that's a good question. It kind of depends on the stage of adrenal fatigue, right? Because if, if you're still on a stage where you're producing adequate amounts of cortisol and your sympathetic nervous system is still pretty robust, um, a lot of times all you need to do is simply program in more rest days and recovery days. And that's what you see a lot of times with like the, the CrossFitters or the triathletes or the marathoners. They're, never, they're really not in stage three or four. They're still motivated to work out. They're still producing a lot of cortisol. They still have a lot of sympathetic drive and they simply need those days. You know, like for me that like today is a recovery day for me. I'll, you know, I'll be walking on my treadmill while I'm working. I'll visit the sauna for about 30 or 40 minutes and uh, sweat things out this afternoon while I'm reading some magazines. Um, I did this morning, my, my quote unquote workout was uh, a cold water soak for about 10 or 15 minutes and then some foam rolling. Right. Yeah. So that's like, it's like, I'm still making my body better on a recovery day, but a lot of times that's all it takes. If you've got like early stage adrenal fatigue and you just need to program a little bit of extra rest in and realize that rest doesn't mean you go stir crazy sitting around the house, but you're, you're actually able to do things that make your body better. You know, sauna, um, cold soaking, hot soaking or cold, hot contrast so that you get blood flow moving around. Um, trampolining and vibration platforms. Those would be also examples of things that really get lymph flow and blood fluid circulating, you know, without actually being stressful to your body from yeah. an impact based standpoint. Um, foam rolling or massage therapy 
is fine as well. Um, you know, any, anything else as far as deep tissue work, you know, using like massage sticks, using lacrosse balls or, or like yoga tune-up balls to work a lot of the fascial adhesions and the cross-linking that are building up on other days of the week. Um, infrared sauna or dry sauna, you know, either of those would be fine as well. But a lot of times that's that's all it takes. Now, once you get into, you know, something a little bit more like, uh, you know, a stage three adrenal fatigue, usually you don't, you know, stage four typically um, folks are, are you know, bedridden and, and they're not exercising at all because they can't. Yeah. But when you get to the point where you're really not producing much cortisol at all, um, there are a few other other things that you got to do. Typically, um, I'll get a lot of people who are like Ironman triathletes, bodybuilders, folks like that who come to me and they really are, um, you know, if you look at like an, an adrenal stress index, for example, really rock bottom cortisol levels throughout the day, um, difficulty really, really getting much adrenal stimulus at all. You know, a lot of cravings for glucose and caffeine and, and other ways to, to get energy levels up simply because cortisol is not mobilizing liver glycogen the way that it should. And the energy levels are, are simply not there. Um, in a case like that, a lot of times it takes a good four to eight weeks to, uh, to push the reboot button on the body. And in a situation like that, uh, the type of workouts that I'll start folks off with are, first of all, some of the things that I just talked about, um, when it comes to the type of things that, that an athlete who normally, needs just one or two recovery days would be doing on those recovery days, right? So, so cold, cold, hot contrast, sauna, um, things along those lines, you know, foam roller, massage. Uh, but typically uh, what we'll also do is like yoga, uh, Tai Chi. I'm a huge fan of as well for that, just because of, of its ability to decrease cortisol. We do a lot of nature walks, a lot of sun exposure. So a typical week for like a, you know, like a four week reboot or recovery protocol would look like something like if we were to look at, at seven days a week, every other day you'd be going on a nice, easy 20 to 30 minute morning walk in the sunshine to start to jumpstart the cortisol levels in the morning and, and get the circadian rhythm going. And on the other days of the week, it would be 20 or 30 minutes of Tai Chi or yoga or something like that in the morning. And then uh, in the afternoons, uh, on some days, you do something like a, a sauna or a detox type of protocol or a cold, hot contrast where you're going back and forth from, from sauna to cold shower or sauna to uh, not, not anything too cold. You wouldn't necessarily want to do an ice bath, for example, if you had adrenal fatigue, but you could do like a, like a colder pool to a sauna or like a, a lukewarm or, or slightly cold shower back and forth to a sauna um, to get the, the blood flow and the detox effects with that. Um, foam rolling, massage, really light body weight type of movements. If you're going to do any type of resistance training, like just some, some easy push-ups or squats or something like that. Um, those are some of the main things. And then once somebody has gone through a few weeks of that, what I'll typically introduce first is some way to increase blood pressure and increase heart rate as well as build strength without actually stressing out the body. And I'm a big fan of super slow training for that. Yeah. So, you know, once you've gone through a good four weeks of just doing like the yoga and the sauna and the easy walking and, and the stuff that's not necessarily sitting around in your butt, but is also not stressful, especially from a sympathetic nervous system standpoint, you know, no long aerobic sessions or anything like that during this time, you know, running, cycling, swimming, anything like that. Basically, the next phase that you get into is you keep doing all that same stuff, but then you introduce just two or three times a week, about 12 to 15 minutes of super slow training 
so there's a there's a good program. There's a book called Body by Science by Doug McGuff, and it just lays out a very basic routine where, for example, it is um, you know four to five different exercises. Like let's say you were going to do this at the gym: a chest press, a pull down, a shoulder press, a leg press, and a seated row. And what you do is like 10 seconds down, 10 seconds up for each of those exercises, really, really slow, and just one set for each exercise. And that's it. It's actually a little bit more difficult than it sounds, but it's not like powerlifting. It's not like CrossFit. It's not like doing high-intensity interval training on the treadmill or anything like that. It's just very kind of slow, restorative, non-impact-based strength. Mm-hmm. Um, the next thing that I'll introduce are very short spurts of high-intensity interval training. So nothing that gets really, really glycolytic, but we're talking about very short, like 10 to 30-second sprints. So a workout somebody might do is you know 10 by 100 meters or something like that out on a, a baseball field or a soccer field or you know like in the grass and their bare feet, something like that. Again, nothing too long, nothing too voluminous, nothing that exhausts your glycogen stores or you know has you going for a very very long period of time but just like short spurts of exercise now at that point once someone is doing the easy light restorative aerobics they're doing a couple of those super slow strength training routines and they're sprinting a couple of times a week they're basically back to a program that's really more of like a longevity anti-aging program right like that's really all you need to be doing for your exercise program unless you want to start doing like competitive sports unless you want to do a triathlon or an obstacle race or a marathon or something like that and then if if that is what someone wants to do then we introduce once they're fully recovered more of the longer stuff right so then we've got two or three days of the week where you're actually going out and you're doing the long swim the long bike the long run the kind of like more stamina based 60 minutes to two hours type of session where you actually are pushing the body a little bit more. And for the weight training, we gradually progress out of something like the super slow training and start doing more traditional strength training, powerlifting, crossfitting, that type of thing. But that step, you know, into the more athletic realm is something that a lot of people think they have to do to look good or to be fit when that's not really the case. I mean, you can get away with doing like the super slow training occasional high intensity interval sprints, you know, like, like the, like the hundred meter type of stuff. And then the, the yoga, the swimming, the easy stuff really comprises the majority of the program. And I mean, if you, if you came up to me and said, Ben, rather than racing all these triathlons, doing the Spartan races, you know, stuff like that, if you want to live as long as possible, what would you do? And I would switch into a program like that where I'm not beating up my body necessarily and draining it each week. Now, I personally, you know, I, I have this deep-rooted desire to put a notch in the belt and go out and do these crazy feats of physical performance. And it, that's also, you know, part of my living is I'm, you know, I, I coach people and I have to spend some time in the trenches doing this stuff. But ultimately, if it was just about living long, I wouldn't necessarily be doing those things. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're the type of person I think that you probably have the genetic uh, propensity, the genetic components to be able to do this type of physical exercise and perhaps not fall into adrenal fatigue. Can you talk a little bit about the differences that people have? Some people just don't have the the genetic countenance and they, they just fall apart if they do uh, too much, you know, long state cardio and, uh, you know, too much high intensity exercise and they can easily fall into adrenal yeah. fatigue. Can you call, talk about that a little bit? Yeah, there, there are certainly genetic 
markers that are associated with, for example, ability to produce certain endogenous antioxidants that help with recovery. Um, you know, if you go to a company like uh, DNA Fit or I believe it is called Athletogen or something like that is another new company that will allow you to export your 23andMe data and see whether you're a fast recoverer or a slow recoverer. And a lot of times someone with fast recovery does very good with consistent exercise every day and a lot of, and a lot of times they can dip into the well a little bit deeper each day of the week whereas someone with slow recovery or someone who doesn't naturally produce as many of these antioxidants, they simply can't take as much. Now they might be able to go out and do a really hard session a couple of times a week but as far as like consistently, you know, digging deep, they just, you know, they they could probably do it but they need some extra help, you know, via supplementation, you know, even like IV therapy, Myers cocktails, stuff like that to actually help them along a little bit. Um, the other thing is the uh, like the the warrior versus the warrior gene. Um, you know, someone who is who has like two of the warrior genes, they tend to be like, you know, the, these are like the professional athletes, right? Like the six foot eight, five percent body fat, three hundred pound football players who are obviously like. You know, they would have been a warrior king, you know, yeah. like thousands of years ago. <laughs> yeah. And then some people have have uh, a copy of the warrior gene and then also the warrior gene, which is kind of like your average person who's able to to go out and, and exercise. You know, probably somebody and, and that's what I have is like I have one copy of the warrior and one copy of the warrior where, um, you know, I'm, I've I've got enough of that warrior gene to be able to really throw some hard stuff at my body, but I'm not like a complete physical specimen, right? Like, so I'm six foot two, I'm 180 pounds, you know, that's, that's not really going to necessarily put me into like the elite athlete category, but that, that genetic combination is pretty common. And then a lot of people have like two copies of the warrior gene and they're not all that great um, at sports. They're just not naturally gifted and they kind of have an uphill battle. That's not to say that they can't you know, be healthy and do a lot of these things that, you know, like the yoga and the walking and the Tai Chi and the dancing and all of the things that, that help to keep you happy and fit for life. But maybe they're not ever going to really like, um, win the day's CrossFit wad or whatever. Yeah. So they're not doing an Ironman. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or they're doing an Ironman, but they're not doing it in nine hours, right? Yeah. Like they're, you know, they're like more like a, you know, 14, 15 hours and, you know, but they're probably good at other stuff. So, you know, it's, it's you know, kind of the, a lot of those those things that we tend to see in society or in school or whatever. The people who are naturally gifted at sports or athletics, and the people who aren't, yeah, part of that can be uh, can be traced right back to genetics. So yeah. it's really interesting. Can you talk a little bit about when someone exercises, they do some intense cardio, whatnot, and they're just completely wiped out? Um, can you talk about how that might be a sign of adrenal fatigue? Because I think that there's a lot of people out there that have adrenal fatigue and they don't realize it. Yeah. Uh, so um, if you're completely wiped out after a workout, sometimes, and I see this more and more these days, it can simply mean you're glycogen depleted. You see that a lot of times in like the, the low-carb people who are following a low-carbohydrate diet protocol that was designed for a relatively sedentary person. Right, like 30 to 40 grams of carbohydrates a day. And, you know, a lot of times I'll get someone who comes to me and they're doing like the whole ketosis thing, but they don't understand that you can be in ketosis and you can still get all the benefits of, of like a low carb, high fat diet. But if you're exercising a lot, low carb for you is 100 to 200 grams a day, not 30 to 40 grams a day. 
So that was certainly the case for me when I first started to, to kind of experiment with ketosis. And, you know, the first recommendations that I read were from guys like, you know, Dr. Jeff Volok, who does a lot of the research on ketosis, um, but he doesn't really exercise, right? Like he occasionally like lifts weights and that's it. And so I was following his recommendations and it was nowhere near the carbohydrate intake necessary for me to be able to get through a workout without feeling exhausted. And, you know, I was testing breath ketones and blood ketones and all that jazz and figured out that I could get my ketones just as high as, you know, Dr. Volok was talking about in his book, like low carbohydrate diet for, for a performance or I forget the actual name of his book, but anyways, really high ketone values at like three to four times the level of carbs that a relatively sedentary person would recommend. So that's one thing. And, and it is possible if you're in a, in a consistent state of glycogen depletion for you to get a lot of the symptoms of adrenal fatigue or sluggish metabolism, you know, because you need enough glucose to, for example, convert inactive to active thyroid hormone. So, um, so that's one thing to realize is that a big part of it can be glycogen related. As far as um, feeling really run down after a workout, yeah, I mean, if you've got a, a large amount of, say, like a, a pregnenolone still happening where a lot of your hormonal precursors, you know, like vitamin D, for example, are getting shuttled towards cortisol formation from constantly being stressed and overtrained rather than producing more anabolic hormones like testosterone or DHEA, you're going to take a lot longer to recover and you're also going to feel more beat up after workout because your, your testosterone to cortisol ratios are going to be really low um, just because of, of, of high cortisol and low levels of anabolic hormones. So um, the other thing is, you know, kind of similar to, uh, to, you know, once you get yourself to a state where you're producing really, really low amounts of cortisol, um, you know, if you, if you look at things like noradrenaline and epinephrine and a lot of the things that get churned out when you're frequently exercising in the same way that you eventually can become desensitized to caffeine, right? And you need like more and more caffeine to get the same effect, you can eventually get desensitized to all this epinephrine and adrenaline that you're consistently surging out. And so you might need greater and greater amounts to get that same kind of high. And you might get to the point where you're simply not able to to feel that exercise high. And you also just are, are not as sensitive to those, those um, neurotransmitters and hormones that are related to feeling driven and motivated. So that's another part of it too. And, and that's why rest and recovery days that allow you to kind of reset your sensitivity to those are important in a, in a good, smart, structured exercise program. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel that, you know, over utilization of extra of energy for exercise, even if it's good for circulation, other health benefits can trigger adrenal crashes. Um, are you in danger of developing adrenal fatigue or crashes if you over exercise? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's one of the most common reasons that you would get adrenal fatigue. Obviously, stress is stress, and you could you could get into a state of adrenal fatigue from constant exposure to pollution, mold, environmental toxins, Wi-Fi, EMF, poor relationships, and a busy lifestyle, right? Like, that's, that's certainly one way that you could get adrenally fatigued, um, you know, and lack of sleep is probably up there, too, um, as well as, you know, too many emails. But then you can also do it from, uh, from over-exercise, which is a lot more common, and that's, that's a reason that you see people getting adrenal fatigue much more often is simply um, it's, it's too much activation of both sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system, especially on the same day. So you see a lot of people doing what's called concurrent training, where they're doing both strength and endurance training 
multiple times per week, sometimes every day of the week, you know, and, th- and this is pretty common among like CrossFitters, um, triathletes or marathoners or endurance athletes who are also implementing weightlifting or strength training or people who work with their hands, right? Like people working construction and stuff like that who are also at the end of the day going out and doing bike rides or runs or swims or things of that nature. That's a really good way to deplete yourself very quickly because you're beating up both branches of your nervous system almost every day of the week. So, I mean, that's where something like uh, heart rate variability monitoring can come in handy because a lot of times if you're waking up in the morning and you're doing a quick five-minute reading on the strength and robustness and resilience of your sympathetic nervous system and your parasympathetic nervous system, you can see which is more beat up and which might need recovery. Like yesterday I did um, I did Murph, which is a mile run, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 squats, and then a mile run. And you're doing all that as fast as you can. And when I did my heart rate variability measurement this morning, my parasympathetic, like my rest and digest branch of my nervous system, it was just fine. It was a nice robust number. It was a very high, what's called a high frequency score on my on my heart rate variability. But my sympathetic nervous system was depressed. It was like under a thousand, which is a low score for me. And so, you know, it's obvious that that branch of my nervous system was really beat up. And whereas, you know, a lot of times you'll see a CrossFitter like go back to the box to do another hard workout the next day, though it's good that today is a recovery day for me or a day where I'm only doing something like, you know, parasympathetic nervous system based, right? Like walking during a podcast just because my sympathetic nervous system is beat up, not ready to take it. So that's, that's really the fastest way to adrenal fatigue is to not pay attention to what, what energy system that you're working and not giving that energy system enough recovery. Like if you take a hard weightlifting session, Technically, you could be recovered from a musculoskeletal standpoint within 24 hours as far as, you know, your inflammatory cytokines, your HSCRP, metabolic byproducts localized to muscle tissue. All of that can be removed within a day. But as far as neuromuscular fatigue, nervous system fatigue, and adrenal fatigue, it can take 48 to 72 hours to recover from a tough workout. And we're talking about like, you know, whatever, like say an Ironman triathlon, it can take two to three weeks. So, you know, if you're not taking into account those recovery times and not just paying attention to whether or not you're sore, right, which is typically musculoskeletal fatigue, but also you got to pay attention to heart rate and heart rate variability. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of playing with fire when it comes to making sure that you're adequately recovered and not constantly digging yourself into a hole. The other important thing to realize is that, in many cases, it's it's a concept known as periodization in sports. But you you should, at certain times, if you're trying to get very very fit, purposefully dig yourself into a hole. And for example, for, for like the Ironman triathletes who I work with, we'll get to a point where in those final eight weeks leading up to the race, we're playing with fire and we're getting very very close to adrenal fatigue very, very close to digging ourselves into too deep a hole. But then once you program in what's called a taper, which is a a period of time full of rest and recovery and a period of time during which like an athlete often goes nuts because they're just like not doing as much as they're used to, you get what's called super compensation where you get into a a very low low without getting into full on adrenal fatigue, but you are beat up. Like you'll, you have days where you just don't feel like working out and you got to go out and do it anyways. But then once you rest and recover from that, you get super compensation and a big boost in fitness that you would not normally have experienced. So, 
you know, it's, it can be a delicate process and, and that's where measuring, you know, doing like most of my athletes do quarterly blood and biomarker testing, daily heart rate variability testing so that we know if they're getting to the point where they're very, very close to adrenal fatigue or overtraining. Yeah. Yeah, and I think an exercise program should be designed specifically for the level of adrenal function. You know, you need to keep a, a pulse on your energy levels and how you feel so you don't overdo it. Can you talk a little bit about that, really, you know, listening to your body and tuning into your body? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you can't necessarily follow what's in Men's Health or Women's Health magazine and expect it to work for you. And that relates to what I mentioned you know, it can be tough to do an adrenal stress index every day and expensive to look at salivary cortisol and DHEA, you know, four times a day, every day. But you can look at corollaries, right? You can look at, at heart rate variability. That's a perfect example. You know, heart rate is another good example, uh, meaning that, you know, a lot of times people think that the lower your resting heart rate gets, the better, right? Like the more fitter you are because your stroke volume is increasing. You're pumping out more blood with every beat of your heart. So, Therefore, if you're having to pump less times per minute, you must be getting greater blood volume and better heart efficiency, better cardiovascular efficiency. But in people who are already fit, a sudden drop in heart rate can be indicative of uh, a risk for adrenal fatigue or overtraining syndrome. And then the same, you know, heart rate variability I already explained, but that's another thing where if there's a sudden drop in heart rate variability or a consistent um, daily low heart rate variability and someone who normally has a high heart rate variability, that's another thing that you need to pay attention to. And that's going to change from person to person. And a lot of times, interestingly, it can change not just based on exercise, but also on travel, circadian rhythms, work stress, relationship stress, you know, whether or not the Wi-Fi router is off at night or on at night, you know, little things like that add up pretty quickly when it comes to something like heart rate variability. There are other things that you can look at. I mean, you know, fluctuations in weight, like a sudden drop in weight can be a warning sign. Um, standing up and sitting down and feeling dizzy when you go from a seated to a standing position, that can be another warning sign. Feeling like the legs are really loaded with lactic acid every time you go up a flight of stairs. Um, a lot of times that can either be a warning sign that you're getting close to adrenal fatigue or that you're very low on glycogen. Um, sometimes both. There's a, there's a really cool tool. Uh, it's, it's called RestWise. I don't remember what the website is. It might be RestWise.com. But uh, they allow you to, when you wake up in the morning, you know, track like nine different variables from your mood to your heart rate to your urine color to your weight to your heart rate variability to kind of give you a running metric that you can look at. And, I mean, if you wanted to pull in as many variables as possible – that's a little bit more of a laborious process, in my opinion, that, that more of like a very serious athlete or someone who's, you know, say, really putting a lot of their life into getting ready for like an Ironman or something like that might do. Um, you know, that, it's a useful tool. I find that most folks, you know, even people aren't very serious about sports, but just want to be in, in, in this game for anti-aging and longevity. I like the concept of just doing heart rate and heart rate variability, you know, simple five minute morning measurement every day. And it gives you a lot of data. And that's what I personally do um, mm -hmm. is, is just, is just you know, that measurement. I think it's really important also for people to kind of keep in mind an adrenal budget where you can't do everything. Mm -hmm. You can't not sleep and work out five days a week and eat too many carbs and, you know, drink alcohol with your friends on the weekends. Like there has to be a, a budget. Can you talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, I mean, that's the that's a perfect way to express it is a budget. And it doesn't mean that you can't do some of those things. But, um, you know, what you need to understand is you have to plan. So if you know that you're going to be out drinking with your friends on Saturday night and there's a big party, um, you know, you either are going to need to program in a, a recovery day on Saturday or a recovery day on Sunday to account for that. You can't just throw that at your body, you know, unless you're, I guess, like an 18-year-old college student. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know I was more robust when I was in college um, and expected to to bounce back. You know, the same could be said, for example, for relationship stress, right? Like if if you're going through a difficult time with a spouse or a loved one or a pet or a child or something like that, you're going to find that there can't be a disconnect between that and your exercise routine. And you may have to program in a week. You know, I, I – um, uh, I had had a client who recently finished up about two weeks of international travel. He was just all over the place. He was speaking. He's a high-level CEO and just like a, a lot of stress. And, and he was working out during that time. Like I know that's what he needs to stay sane. So I was programming in workouts for him. And you know, most of those two weeks he was working out. But by the time he got home, I knew his budget was pretty close to empty. And his entire week for that week when he got home was basically yoga, easy walks, couple of easy swims, a lot of time spent in the sauna and just seven days, right? Like of repaying that budget and and rebuilding the bank account of stress again so that he would be able to start delving back into some of his other goals once he'd come out of of that that de-stress period. And he could start to focus on things like building muscle, burning fat, boosting VO2 max and some of his other goals. But yeah, you always have to take into account that budget and you can't just kind of like throw stuff willy nilly at your body. Yeah, I think it's such an important point. You can't do everything. You have to make choices in life about what your priorities are and, and follow those, uh, those goals. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. I have a question I'd like to ask all of my guests. What do you think is the most pressing health issue in the world today? Oh, gosh. You know, it, it kind of depends because like, you know, for example, um, I'm a big fan of, of World Vision, the charity that helps to uh, get water to people in developing countries who have no access to clean water and to, to clothe children who, who, you know, can't be clothed and, and to provide food for folks. And, and obviously, you know, basic, you know, like, like you look at Maslow's needs, right? So it's just like these people is just like basic food, water, shelter. You know, and and when I'm talking with people who, you know, I'm trying to to, you know, get them off their butts to do something like a standing workstation or reduce the amount of sedentary activity that they have during the day. Certainly that's a pressing need in America. Right. Like the whole like just getting people out of the mode of sitting all day long and then fighting that with an exercise session at the end of the day. And I would say that, you know, in in modern developed, you know, first world countries or whatever, that's the biggest thing is just like getting off your butt and moving and hacking your environment so that you're not sedentary all day long. But then in a developing country, you know, all of a sudden that doesn't seem very important at all. You know, all of a sudden it's, it's like, it's clean water and it's food and it's shelter and it's HIV and, you know, all these other issues that are way more serious than, you know, all, you know, all of us fat Westerners trying to get off our butts. Yeah. So it kind of, it, you know, it kind of, it kind of depends. Um, but ultimately, you know, it, it, where, where we're living and probably for the majority of our audience, it's basically figuring out ways that you can be more active during the day 
and figuring out ways, especially that, so that you're not like sitting with your glute muscles turned off, <laughs> your hip flexors shortened, your low back basically compressed, your neck thrust forward, and then you get up, you try to exercise, and you get injured because everything is just biomechanically off. If you look at our ancestors, they did not spend as much time each day sitting as we do. And you know, I'm, I'll be going over to my kids' school after we talk. And they they have a uh, they have a talent show over there, and one of the things I'm doing is getting standing desks for each classroom so oh, that wow. kids grow up not only able to stand but also aware of the fact that you don't have to sit to get stuff done right like yeah. sitting does not have to be the go-to posture during the day and and in our house we kind of follow that rule of, of you sit to eat right like that's the time when you want a lot of parasympathetic nervous system activation and you want to be relaxed and in that posture and the rest of the time we're standing lying kneeling lunging you name it doing anything except this this modern you know chair form of sitting yeah. so. damn it i'm getting a standing desk <laughs> where, do do you, where do you get one where do you get a, a treadmill desk or what brand do oh, you use? well until this year i just had a cabinet in my house that i had a little shoebox on top of right and that was it yeah and that was what i did for gosh like four or five years now i have one of those little crank desks it's called a rebel desk um i, I wrote a, a big article on my site about all the different stand-up desks and treadmill desks and stuff that are out there but what I my setup is I have a standing desk called a rebel desk, which is a, a it can crank up and down. It's a hand crank, so there's no EMF, right? Like a lot of them have motors. Um, this one doesn't. My treadmill is a manual treadmill. It's called a True Form. Um, I got a True Form because I can run or walk on it, so I could do a workout on it if I wanted to. But I can also walk very slowly, and again, no motor, no EMF. Yeah. Um, and then I also have. Uh, basically a very dense foam mat called a Kai bounder that's next to my desk so that if I'm not in my treadmill and I'm standing, I'm not on like hard carpet all day long, but I can kind of shift my body weight to different muscles. So there's not any overuse injuries that are occurring while I'm standing. And then I also have this little stool that I can lean against if I need to lean. And that one's made by a company called Focal Upright. It's called a Mogo. And so um, you know, and I've got little like foam rollers and stuff in my office. So it's like a little playground, right? So like all day long, I can be in, in different positions. There's a pull-up bar outside that I can go hang from like a monkey. So, you know, I just try and try and subject my body to all sorts of different positions all day long. So it's a, a gym slash office. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, exactly. I love it. I love it. I got to get, I need to get one really badly. I do way too much sitting and computer work. Right. I've made sure like, like the window that I'm looking out as you're talking, you know, it's, it's a green forest, you know, there's the green grass and there's some rocks outside, but, but then I'm just looking out at this, this big bunch of tamarack trees. Right. So I'm like getting a little bit of nature therapy. So I've kind of hacked it so that, you know, as I'm, as I'm going throughout my day, I'm, I'm really, you know, I don't finish the day exhausted and feeling unhealthy and sick and tired. I finish feeling energized. So. Yeah. Yeah. I have honestly too many days where I feel like that. I'm just drained <laughs> from working yeah. so much and got to get that energy going. Yeah. The treadmill done. Telling you, you got, you got to hack your environment. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm going to do. It's on the list. <laughs> so tell us about your book, Beyond Training. Um, beyond Training is, it, it's, as the name implies, everything that goes beyond the workout. Right, because I, I worked with so many athletes and weekend warriors and recreational exercisers who really kind of did have the exercise thing down, right? Like they're working out, but everything from like digestion to sleep to recovery to hormonal balance to stress control to um, to like really good nutrient dense nutrition was not happening. 
So, you know, this book is basically a culmination of about 10 years of time spent in the trenches just helping people navigate everything that assists with longevity and anti-aging and performance and fat loss and recovery that goes beyond just the workout. So all those all those things that you have to take into account. And so it's, you know, it's like 500 pages worth of, you know, biohacks and meals and recovery tools and everything else necessary to kind of keep you in the game long term and, and ensure that you're not just getting performance, but that you're also getting health. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm glad we we're finally able to record it. And uh, I was on your podcast. Uh, so listeners can go That's check right. that out on HTMA. That's right. Analysis. And, and I got I to thank you for the hair mineral analysis. We identified uh, manganese as, as kind of a big culprit. And uh, I now have, um, you know, because I was on well water, I assumed I was pretty good to go on that. and was already filtering out bacterial-based iron. But um, now I've got a really good manganese filter right. added on that. Perfect. So filtering that out of the water and and I want to test here pretty soon and and see how that reflects in the hair mineral analysis. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely do um, a retest for sure. Yeah, yeah. So um, I've taken that into into account for sure. And I'm also, uh, based on the the copper issue, um, I've decided that probably one of the one of the better things that I that I could be doing is more of like a daily sauna treatment. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I'm uh, in the upstairs closet, my, what was supposed to be my wife's sewing equipment closet. Um, I'm, I'm basically uh, installing a full on like walk-in infrared sauna oh, nice. up there. So that'll be right next to the bedroom and I can just roll out of bed and go, go sit in there in the morning for my, oh, medi- for my meditation and my breathing and everything. So, Oh, that's so, perfect. That sounds perfect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people are surprised. They, they're drinking well water thinking they're, they're doing so good with their water and, they get the manganese, iron, toxicity surprise, and even uranium as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, thanks for going through that with me. Yeah, for sure. Well, Ben, tell the listeners where they can find you and about your other podcasts, et cetera. Yeah, um, you know, the best place to go is just bengreenfieldfitness.com. Um, you know, you can use that as a portal to get to my podcast and my articles and things of that nature. And I'm always trying to, to put out good information for folks. Let's see, what did I, what did I talk about this week? Um, I believe this week was the, the effects of, of marijuana on physical per- and, and cognitive performance. <laughs> and then, uh, the, uh, the podcast this week is on, um, hydration and electrolytes and specifically, um, how to find out your own unique, uh, sodium loss in your sweat, how to replenish that accordingly and how to ensure that you're staying hydrated during, during activity and during your day-to-day routine. So, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to put out something kind of cutting edge when it comes, especially to like, uh, like performance, biohacking, nutrition, that type of thing. So bengreenfieldfitness.com. Yeah. You have a lot of really unique podcasts you're, you've been doing it a long time too. You have over 300 podcasts. Yeah, they're probably unique just because I've gotten bored with all the same old, same old stuff. So now I'm just <laughs> delving into everything else. Yeah, I'm doing one on Lyme disease. You know, really nice. going there with very niche podcasts. Uh, but yeah, nice. Ben, thank well, you so much. I, I, live out, I live out in the forest where there's lots of ticks. So I'll listen yeah. to that one. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's really much more common than people think. I'm, I'm catching yeah. a few clients that have it. That. Yeah, and I, I hunt deer a lot too. So, mm-hmm. you, know, I've, you know, when I've got my 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 arms up to my elbows and the gut of a deer and my my head right next, right next to its hide. I literally I see just like ticks floating off this thing. It always makes me nervous with oh, the, no. the Lyme disease thing. But yeah, not well, to gross anyone out. But you're probably good in the sauna. It'll keep the viruses in check, etc. 
there we go. Yeah. Sauna will cure everything. Cure everything. It's a cure-all, for sure. Well, Ben, cool. thanks for coming on the show. And listeners, you can learn more about me at live2110.com. Learn all about natural healing, detoxification, and my version of paleo, modern paleo. Thank you so much for listening to the Live to 110 podcast.